0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Athletics Teacher Educators, a community of math teacher educators learning to teach math teachers better. I'm your co-host, Jen Wolf, and joining me is co-host, Dusty Jones. Hey, Dusty. Hey, Jen. And co-host, Joel Amadon. Hey, Joel. Hey, Jen. Today, we are talking with Dr. Melissa adams Corral. She is an assistant professor at the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. She earned her PhD in STEM education from The Ohio State University and her Master's of Arts in Bilingual and Bicultural Education from the University of Texas at Austin. She received the 2022 AMTE Dissertation Award for her work, When We Relate, towards a people-centered methodology for classroom-based research. We are talking with Melissa today so that she may share some of her experiences in mathematics teacher education and her work, which lives in the space between mathematics and bilingual education, and emphasizes a need to move from producing knowledge for the field to producing knowledge with and for the people. Welcome, Melissa, how are you? Thanks, Jen, I'm great, it's nice to be here. So good to have you here, thanks Thanks for uh, joining us. So could you take a minute to introduce yourself beyond what we already shared? What did we miss?
1: Oh, man. Uh, I am a proud Miami girl. I'm 305 till I die. (laughs) Um, I live for hot weather and this summer has tested me, but I still will take days over 100, over days under like 70 anytime. (laughs) And um, I just moved. And so I'm in the process of like doing all kinds of things at the beginning of the semester, which seems like it says a lot about my decision-making processes. So... (laughs)
0: Oh, and the weather's really hot for moving right now, too, right, uh-huh. where you are?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, if you really want to embrace 100-degree weather, like, do it while moving.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a good workout, right? Get your it's sweat on something. there. It's
2: <laughs> Yeah, north of you, Melissa, we um, had our first day where the high was below 90 today, so maybe it will come to you soon, but maybe not too low because you like it pretty warm.
1: I like it pretty warm. However, nineties are my favorite. And I think we're hitting nineties on Saturday. So I'm pretty excited Great. about it. Yep. Yeah. Nineties are pretty good. Like I
0: never thought I would say that in my life, you know, moving to Tucson. It's been like 108, 103 these last couple of weeks. I'm like, I'm just I'm just ready for some nineties weather. Just <laughs> you know, and I don't have nearly the humidity that you all have in Texas or where you are, Joel. You get you get pretty humid down there in the south. Heck yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I love humidity, too.
0: You should know that about me. Yeah. <laughs> it does such wonder for your skin. It's like when so I, great for <laughs> your skin. <laughs> it really does. I go back home and I'm like, wow, my skin feels so good. I'm so hydrated. Yeah. So dry out in the desert here. So, Melissa, can you talk a little bit about your journey and how you got started teaching
1: math teachers? Yeah. Although when I saw that question listed, I thought, oh, like that's such a long story. Um, Like every long stories, (laughs) like everything in my teacher education life, it's happy misadventures and coincidences like none of this was intentional. All of this kind of just happened. Um, I talk about this a lot, but I was planning on being a community organizer when I was in college. I had never planned on being a teacher. My dad's a teacher. And I was like, that's not for me. Schools are terrible places. Bad things happen in them. I don't want to ever step foot in schools. Um, And then I graduated in the 2008 recession and getting a job was really impossible. And in Austin, which is where I was living at the time, like the whole city was plastered in these billboards that said like, are you bilingual? Want to teach? When can you start? And I was like, well, I am bilingual and maybe like teaching is one way to work with the community. I was intending to work with anyway as a community organizer. Um, And maybe I can just like make schools not suck in the small little space that I control and so I uh, and I really needed a job. And so I decided to try this alternative certification program and I figured I'd stick with it for like a year, maybe two, if it felt like community organizing, maybe longer. Um, and then happy accident. My first year, um, there was a researcher, a math education researcher who came into the school that I had been like hired at. And he was looking for a teacher to partner with on a research project. This is Dr. Eginio Dominguez, who is at Michigan State. And I needed help because I hadn't been trained in how to teach very much at all. And I also was pretty math phobic. Like I'm a recovering math hater, um, which I know is not always the nicest thing to say in these spaces. And so I figured like this man knows what he's talking about. He knows things about math teaching. Maybe if I participate in his research project, I'll learn a few things too. And like, I'll get some help in this classroom because, you know, who doesn't want help their first year? And with him, I quickly learned a lot about math teaching Um, and I participated in research. Um, I was a research subject for him for seven years and I learned math from little kids and it was just the most exciting, beautiful thing. Um, That's why I ended up going back to school to get my master's in bilingual ed um, and I did a lot of research on sort of how my students were developing their sense of selves in mathematics. Um, and so I started sort of feeling like math education was a place that I could make a, a home for myself, sort of a home that probably didn't know it was going to want me or wouldn't have wanted me if it had met me before Eginio. Um And then everything was going along great, teaching in Texas. And my husband graduated with his PhD um, and got a job in Ohio and getting a teaching job in Ohio became really difficult for me an alternatively certified bilingual teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, well, what am I going to do? You know, teaching is the one thing I'm, I'm found meaning in and happy coincidence. Um, I knew that I and, and many people that I had worked with who had come from Susan Emson's sort of line of school and CGI and all that, um, knew Teddy Chow, who's at Ohio State. And so I reached out to Teddy Chow and we were able to figure out a way for me to go to grad school and get a PhD, which was a happy accident because I didn't expect to be doing that. And then for a while when I was getting my grad degree, I thought maybe my husband, I could convince him to get a job back in Texas or something. And then I could just go back to being a teacher and (laughs) make things normal again. But I graduated and that did not happen immediately. And so I thought maybe I'd try this professor thing, this teaching math teachers thing. And um, my one rule was that I wanted, just like I had a rule when I went into teaching, I wanted it to feel like community organizing. When I went into higher ed, I kind of wanted it to feel like my classroom again. Um, So I wanted to be working in a community that was predominantly bilingual, that was like Latina, where I could sort of prepare teachers to go into classrooms like the one I taught in and to have different kinds of experiences with mathematics than many of us had in schools. Um, And so that brought me to the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. I love the Valley and the Valley is exactly the kind of place where you can do the work that I wanted to do. And I'm pretty happy to say that teaching felt like community organizing and teaching math teachers also feels quite a bit like community organizing work.
0: That is amazing. I never knew what the story was and how you ended up in Ohio. So thank you. Just (laughs) by an accident. accident. (laughs) Uh,
3: So can I ask a question? Sorry. Can I ask a question? Uh, So what is that like when you talk about that, you want it to feel like community organization, community organizing work, What say more, please.
1: Um, For me, organizing work actually has a lot to do with math, but um, it's about sort of tackling things in group. Um, So it's sort of like looking at a problem or something that seems difficult to manage and then figuring out how as a community we actually had all the resources we needed to make things happen. Um, it's, it feels like power and energy. It feels like, um, like a buzz, right? Like it should feel buzzy. Um, it challenges power dynamics. So it's not just sort of me in charge. I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with sort of power and authority roles. And I think that in good organizing work, um, I think sometimes people talk about this as facilitation. It's pretty similar. I think it's about sort of like making and holding space for, Everybody in the room to have like a say, to have a participation um, mechanism, to feel like they're a part of the group, part of the community, and part of how we solve problems together. So I think a good math classroom really should feel a lot like community organizing.
2: Beautiful, thank you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And Melissa, are you are you doing this like this work with with within individual classrooms? Are you doing this work with teachers and their their systems? Are you doing it all over the place? What what where where is this happening for you currently? I guess.
1: Um, I think one of the questions that you'll have on your list is like about a phrase that helps guide your work or something like that. And the phrase that I wrote down comes from Bob Moses' book, Radical Equations, Mm -hmm. um, who told us all that math teaching was just like community organizing quite some time ago. Um, And he talks a lot about this idea of cast down your bucket where you are. And so I bring that up because I think that for me, this is like my response when people ask me, like, where do you do this work and how do you decide where you're going to do it? Mm -hmm. I just cast down my bucket where I am and I Mm -hmm. figure out like what makes sense in the moment. Um, So when I was doing my PhD and the dissertation that won the award is about doing this work with teachers about how we can do community organizing work or take community organizing theories and apply them to what it means to be classroom based researchers working with teachers on how to improve their math practice and work with students. Um, And I did that in Columbus and it was um, an experience that I'm really proud of and that I think was really meaningful. Then um, I did a year in California. When I was in California, I actually was doing some organizing work at a high school with the English language development coordinator and um, a lot of students who are labeled English learners around just sort of like how they could have access to school, enjoy their classes, like be a part of things and not be sort of segregated in the ways that they were at their school. Um, And part of that involves ultimately realizing that nobody was really talking to these young people about like who they were and what they had to say. And um, a lot of assumptions were made about them, but not a lot of people were sort of getting to know who they actually were. And so I ended up interviewing like every single kid labeled an English learner in levels one, two and three of this California high school and getting to know them and realizing that there was so much there that teachers weren't aware of, like goals that they had, interest in higher education. A lot of them had sort of come to the U.S. thinking about like really being able to make something in their life possible Mm -hmm. um, beyond, I think, what people usually think undocumented immigrants or asylum seekers are going to sort of um, have as options for them here. And so that then I left California and I came out here to Texas and being out here in Texas, I'm at the border right now. And Mm so I have not stepped foot in a school Since I've been out here, which is pretty wild for me, I'm usually always in schools. Um, But I actually spend two days a week, two afternoons a week, sometimes with my students at a shelter for asylum seekers um, and doing a lot of work with them about sort of tackling this question of how do we make sure their teachers know them when they walk Mm -hmm. in the door. Um, And so I think what I tend to do is I look where I am and I figure out what doors are open and I cast down my bucket in those doors and figure out you know, what kind of a role I can play in supporting the community that exists there and the kinds of desires that they express Um, and sort of thinking through like what this position that we're all in as researchers, as teacher educators facilitates. Um, In this case, it means that my my students come with me and they meet um, the same families that I meet, they meet the same kids that I meet and they get to know them from the pre-service teacher perspective. And then we can think about what that means as math teachers, right? What does it mean to really know a kid and how does that shape how we teach? Um, so I think I do this work with teachers all the time, um, but I do it in very context dependent ways.
0: Cool. So for folks that are interested in, in casting their bucket in, a, in this way, um, do you have like advice that you'd offer on how we could be more community engaged in our scholarship?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, the first thing I would just say is like, just go out into where you live. Like if there's a place that you know about or or a problem that you know exists in your community, go out and listen to people who are experiencing it. Go out and get to know people. Um, Be creative. Sometimes I think, you know, I hear a lot like, oh, I want to go into schools, but this school district is really hard because like the navigate, the paperwork and all this. Well, then don't go to that school district. Just find a place where there's there's space for you. Um, when I was doing uh, my graduate work, I was working under Dr. Chetty Chow and um, it was the pandemic and all the schools closed and he had this grant that was funded and we were supposed to be going into schools and doing work with teachers, but there were no mm-hmm. schools. <laughs> so Teddy ended up going into this community organization that was like hosting kids for their online schooling while their parents who were often essential workers were off at work. And he was doing a lot of his project in this space that was very much not a school, um, but which needed people. and needed sort of people to do interesting things with kids beyond just opening up their laptops and letting them watch their zoom lessons. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think in part, it's starting to tune yourself to listen for spaces for problems for people for community like attune yourself to where you are get to know where you are Um, get out of your office or home office stop reading so much and like go listen to people go walk around I I think um, we're really good at academizing things and Bob Moses talks about how researchers are really good at trying to like approach problems with their planned solutions Mm. and what Bob suggests, he's got a great passage about this and it's really long in in Radical Equations about the university researcher versus the community organizer. And he really talks through like how they approach problems differently how they approach people differently. Um, And so I would definitely recommend like read Bob Moses's work again, Um, read it as an organizer, don't read it just as a math lover. Um, And then think about sort of how to approach people not knowing what to do with no idea what to do and what kinds of questions you have to ask to know a problem better with people and to know how they're thinking about this problem. And then to think about together what role you could each play in supporting one another and thinking about that problem some more, whatever problem it might be, which is math by the way, even if we don't think about it that way, if it doesn't have like numbers or shapes or formulas or whatever. So.
0: I love that invitation to like revisit the work and read the work with a community organizer lens. Right. And then this, yeah. the idea that with your heart work, really thinking about how are we producing that knowledge with and for people will go out and be present, go out into the communities, talk with folks, listen to folks.
1: Bob has a beautiful passage in his book where he talks about bouncing a ball. Like if I want to meet people in the community, I just go out on the street and I bounce a ball and eventually some kids will come out and they'll ask what I'm doing and they'll try and take my ball and play with my ball. And then I'll let the kids play with the ball for a while. And eventually their parents will come out and like call them back inside or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then I get to know the parents. Right. And so it's just as simple as like, go out and bounce a ball. What are some different ways that you've gone out to bounce a ball, Melissa? Um, in different contexts. Yeah in schools, like I've been sort of invited to do other things in schools. And then you just go and you get to know people and you you, you bounce a ball for teachers, right? There are lots of ways to bounce a ball for teachers. Um, and it can be something as simple as like, oh, do you need some help with that? Oh, do you want me to, want me to run and get those copies? I can just bounce that little ball for you and get that done and get that little task out of your way. And then the next task out of your way. And now we're talking, right? So um, I think there's there's ways that can be like solve little problems for people that you can just do. That's one way to bounce a ball. Um, Another one is to like go into spaces and do what's asked of you for a while. So at the shelter where I'm working, I didn't like walk in with the project I was going to do. I walked in and was just like, I wanna be in this space and spend time here. Um, Important context is that my family is from Honduras in Central America. And so a lot of the asylum seekers who are coming are from Honduras. And it was important for me to be present with my community, right? Like that was just what brought me into the space to begin with. And if they wanted me to make ham sandwiches to give people when they were getting on the bus, then I made ham sandwiches. And I spent afternoons making ham sandwiches and having fascinating conversations with people. and then if they needed me to stand in the pharmacy section and like help people access like the sort of immediate things they needed, like cough medicine for their babies or like diapers and stuff like that, then I would do that. And then eventually um, I started thinking about what that space allowed and afforded and what kinds of things were possible in it and what kinds of um, things were not happening in it. And I suggested this idea of, of letter writing for teachers and, um, to the shelter staff and they were really open and receptive to it. Um, They let me try it out when it worked well, when they were getting good feedback from, from families, they got really excited about it and became incredibly supportive of it. So I think bouncing a ball is really about like go into a space and think about what you have to offer um, and then offer those little things, let people ask you to do things and do them and then become part of like the group of people who contributes to some space or some place or something. And as you do that, people will talk to you and then you'll have something to listen to and you'll be interested in them. It's funny how interesting people are when we forget about ourselves and we stop thinking about what we want to do and what's interesting to us. And we just think about, I don't know, being useful in the moment. It just, it tunes you to something different. Um, It makes you listen in a different way.
0: It feels really freeing actually, the way you just (laughs) described that. It just feels like a space where you can breathe and mm-hmm. just kind of show up as, like, just who you are.
1: Yes. I would say that I find the work that I do very freeing. I think you have a question about boundaries and priorities. Yeah. I'm like, I give that to you. That's who I am. I'm that person. Um, and I think for me, more than boundaries or priorities, I, like, really try and have spaces where I feel that freedom of, like, this. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to be anybody in this moment. I can just... Fulfill a task, fulfill a a role, fulfill a space for something else, for someone else. It doesn't need to be focused on me. Like I can just let go. It is meditative, actually, I think. Mm
0: -hmm. Are there ways that you've been able to bring those ideas and practices in the classroom space with your pre-service teachers? Even Um, if it's just like small slivers of that, just given the context that you're in?
1: I think in some ways we have to get students to let go of things when we teach, especially if we teach elementary math methods. I imagine y'all do. Um, so many of our students like me came to college, not loving math and having some really bad experiences with math. And so we have to get them to like, let go of themselves. Like just, just hang out here. Um, I do a lot of gameplay, like, um, Yesterday in class, we played, um, pick up sticks and we did pattern block puzzles and stuff. And I do that because when you let young adults be kids in ways that sometimes their math classrooms didn't let them, um, you start to see those little kids again. Like you hear a lot of giggling and like, Hey, she's cheating, right? (laughs) And they're (laughs) adults. Um, and so there, I think that there's like a similar thing happening there where you ask them to sort of like, let go of the pretense of being adults in a college classroom, let go of their feelings about math and just play, just, just imagine that you're a kid and someone dropped this game in front of you. Like, how would you play with it? And, um, and those are usually the moments where I start to hear them think about math differently or accept to thinking about math differently is when they're letting go a bit uh, all the things that they hold on to about their experiences with math.
0: So cool. Yeah. Just being free and plain and like bringing in that kind of love of wonder and joy into the space. Right. So we, we, should, we want to fill those things, I would hope.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. and then once, once they felt like that in a class titled math, then when you ask them to do another thing that's like maybe a bit more scary and might involve some fractions, they're like a bit more trusting to let go and to just try with you because, you know, they had that good feeling and they kind of want to have the good feeling again. So you I, I found that students really need that um, that space to write a different story about math. And sometimes that means having like very different emotional experiences mm. with math. Mm.
3: Yeah, I like seeing these parallels between, you know, like going into a space and then kind of going with the whatever going on in the space, being a contributor and then maybe noticing something, providing a suggestion. And then you're saying here, how do you get these students to go along with, it? okay, let's play a game. We know about playing games. Let's have some fun. Now, all of a sudden, like we're having some mathematical conversation. Like it's like this, how do we, how do we get almost like getting sync and start moving together? towards a common, that's community organizing, right? Like, there you go. Yes.
1: Look at that. Um, And I think another, maybe another kind of organizing piece I tried this semester, which I was surprised went well, um, was like around the syllabus, because you know, the syllabus, well, Dusty, you're in Texas?
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: So the state of Texas has some very strict rules about the syllabi and presenting the syllabi and posting the syllabi, and it must Mm -hmm. be like, You know, students must have access to this, like, completed document that must be perfect.
2: Yeah. Within a few clicks from the main website of the university. Yeah.
1: And so I've been toying, though, with like, I don't want to have a set syllabus because where's community organizing and giving them a set syllabus? Mm. Like, it's fine. And so I started thinking about like, there were certain things that were really important for me to have them do, like actually sit and do math with a kid. So like, I want you to do math with a kid and I want you to come with me to the shelter. But then I started thinking about things that like, I didn't need to be in control of and that maybe we could just try and see what they would do with. Um, So like reading checks, like how do we know that they did the reading or whatever is my least favorite thing about our job. (laughs) Um, And I was like, you tell me what you want to do and I'll be happy with it. And the other one I did was like what um, what they want to do after their visit to the shelter as like evidence of reflection or something. Um, And oddly, two different sections of elementary math methods for their reading check. One group wanted to do like evidence of their note taking, like either taking pictures of their text that's been annotated or like submitting their actual notes, submitting screenshots or cell phone pictures of their notes, and then having a discussion in class. And I was like, that sounds great. That sounds totally legitimate. Let's do that. The other group wanted to do quizzes. Like they wanted quizzes created for them, or they could like check their understanding based on like how I was thinking about things, which would not have been my first choice, but it's what they wanted. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're doing. And it's two different groups and they picked two completely different things. And it was a reminder to me. We try so hard, right? We plan so thoughtfully. We're like, I just want them to enjoy things. And I want things to feel meaningful. And sometimes like we're we're twisting ourselves in knots and we could just ask them what they want to do and they'll give us a perfectly reasonable answer. Mm-hmm. So I'm experimenting with that this semester. So far, so good.
2: And I can see ways to flexibly write that syllabus um, to, to in kind of in, incorporate both of those things and, and still meet. Our our interesting laws that we have here, this state.
1: Yeah, I took what was there. Like I, I said, this is what's here. Like here's an idea. This is what I did last semester, and then I deleted it in front Uh, of them. I said, now tell me what to put there this time, and I'll update the drafts or whatever.
2: Yeah, yeah, awesome.
1: Fun.
0: Yeah, I love this idea, right? Because it goes back to your community organizing and thinking about how are we sharing our knowledge with one another while we're developing it with one another and then having that kind of power and choice and how I'm able to demonstrate the ways I'm learning in community with others.
3: And honoring everyone's contribution.
0: Yeah. Was there anything, I'm just curious, Like, (laughs) was there anything that you kind of had to put to the side, like in the ways that you are like certain like ways you like to organize things or do stuff that made it, more challenging to just like, you know what, I'm just going to hit the delete button and you all are going to help me
1: fill this in. I actually think um, it's much harder for me the other way. So super structured, organized, prepared, everything's on Blackboard or Canvas, and you can just access. That's so hard for me. That is not who I am. I am like a I thought we were going to do this, but let's do something totally different now that we're having this conversation. <laughs> like that's me as a teacher. And so being a college professor has been really challenging because it's, it's much more, there's a, a much higher expectation for like organization set plans. Students want to know exactly what to expect and when to expect it and give them all the details and provide them with an example. And I'm like, no, I want you to like be free. And they're just looking mm-hmm. at you, like, I don't trust you. Um, so I think it's much, it's, that's the part that's been really hard for me in the transition to this particular Mm -hmm. role. And so just deleting it felt like a way to take back a little bit of myself. Um, Mm.
0: Yeah. Taking back yourself, but also working towards like shifting that power. Cause you mentioned earlier about really just the whole authority and power dynamics. um,
1: Like they signed up for it. They're trying to take it for like a degree Their tuition dollars are what funds my position at the university. Like, it's their class. I work for them. Like, how am I so in charge when, like, obviously I work for them? Like, I feel like they don't know that I work for them. And I keep trying to tell them, like, you're in charge here. Anyway.
2: (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot to unlearn, I think, um, from the ways that we have done school. Um,
0: Learning, unlearning, and relearning. So, Melissa, could you talk a little bit more about your work that um, you note know lives in the crawl space between mathematics and bilingual education?
1: Well, I love, I love crawl spaces, and I think we should probably tell people what crawl spaces is. Yeah. Are. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? I think I have like the quote, like seared in my brain from dissertation writing, uh, Bob Moses defines a crawl space as a space in the wider social and political world that we can use to our advantage. Um, So I like to think of them as like wiggle rooms in between walls, right? Like anywhere where there's just like this wiggle room where like something can happen that doesn't already happen. Um, So in my dissertation, where I talk about like community organizing work or organizing theories for working with teachers, I talk about how there's like a crawl space just in the role of being a researcher, right? You're not a classroom teacher, Um, you're not sort of held to those same expectations that classroom teachers are, but you can be in the space and you can sort of contribute to the space in this kind of like fuzzy way that no one's really defined and that you can make your own. That's a crawl space. Mm -hmm. Um, elementary school teaching is filled with crawl spaces because like you were mentioning between math education and bilingual education, there's not really these strict demarcations in the day, right? Like you can try and construct them, but in reality, like you're the teacher for all these different content areas. And so if you just decide that they're not that bounded and there's all this fuzzy room in between, well, then you can sort of teach in all these crawl spaces where there's not like one way to do something or another way to do something, but rather these ways that sort of blend and take from multiple ways of thinking and being and acting and teaching. Um, those are crawl spaces. Um, I think I live in a crawl space. I live in the borderlands, um, Mm -hmm. South of me is the official U.S.-Mexico border, the Rio Grande. North of us are a series of checkpoints that we have to go through, um, manned by Border Patrol agents. So we're in this sort of fuzzy nether region. Where we're not really in the United States, but we're not not in the United States. It's a crawl space. Um, so, for example, the families that come through um, the shelters that we that I've been working in, you know, they are. Officially in the U.S., they've been released from Border Patrol custody, so they are in the United States, but they're waiting or they're in transition to like their next destination. So they're waiting for their bus to get time or they're waiting for their plane to get time. And so they're in this like shelter for like a day or two. And it's just like this time that we could be using for something to do something that schools Mm -hmm. aren't going to do when kids arrive. It's a crawl space. Um, And so I think in part, I view a lot of the work that I'm doing as a researcher as like finding ways to like expand our crawl spaces, make them a little thicker, make more room in them. And so I've been doing a lot of, a lot of my recent research and publications are actually like not math. Um, I've been doing a lot of work on transporter families' literacies and like the futurity of transporter families and their imaginations. Those are concepts that I think are going to be really useful in math education, but I needed to write them in places that would kind of like want to think about them And be able to say like, yeah, this is official, like a literacy journal says like, yes, this is a literacy, right? Well, then we can start drawing upon that as math education researchers. Um, I'm doing a lot of thinking about like how to expand what we consider translanguaging, right? Um, Thinking of translanguaging, not just switching between English and Spanish or other named languages, but about how we like language practice in ways that transcend other kinds of barriers that exist in our language use. Why am I writing about that in the language journals? Because if language journals accept that, well, then now I can start thinking about that in mathematics classrooms. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, a lot of what I'm doing right now as like an early career scholar is thinking about like, what do I need in math education that's not here? Why isn't it here? And -hmm. how can I go out to these other spaces, start seeing it in those spaces so that I can bring it in here? And then I create, I create, right, this little crawl space. Is that helpful? Is that what you're thinking?
0: That's amazing. No, I'm just like, there's this pause right now because you're just making me think really deeply about crawl spaces. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, like the way that you're saying what I need to continue to do this work or what I think is missing from the field. I want to fill that in some way. So I'm, I'm making it in this other space so I can bring it into this space. So that others can come in and we can start mm-hmm. to expand these crawl spaces or redefine them or move them or expand them or reinforce them so that we can all kind of move through them.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That. yeah. Um, and I think some, some folks like you, Jen, you're in a math department. Yeah. You, like also hang out in this math education world. You're working at crawl space.
0: Mm. Yeah. Lots of crawling. That's for sure.
2: I'm really interested in the examples that you gave, like the, the families that are just waiting and they're there for a little while, you know, maybe a day or two or something like that and taking advantage of those opportunities and thinking, I mean, this is the benefit of talking with great people. you got me thinking about my own community in Mm -hmm. Huntsville, Texas, and where are those opportunities where right now maybe nothing's happening, but maybe something good could happen. How can we redeem that time? How can we use that crawl space um, yeah. To to help out, um, people.
1: Yeah, the, the Teddy Chow example is a perfect example of a crawl space too, right? Like, um, you can't get into schools because mm-hmm. they're closed, so like that's just not going to happen. But then there had to be this other space that existed because parents still had to go to work and they had to figure out what to do with kids, and so these community organizations jumped in to fill in this need, and they created a crawl space where like other things could happen, mm-hmm. um, and so I think. That's sort of the, actually, now you guys are really helping me hit on something, which I'll appreciate a lot as I'm writing soon. Um, I feel like part of it is like this sitting and listening and casting down your bucket. And then you figure out like what your role facilitates in terms of like building cross spaces, sort of like flexing out cross spaces for folks.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like what's within your sphere of influence or what strengths do you bring and this orientation of learning from and with each other so that we can kind of build and navigate these crawl spaces together.
3: Mm -hmm. I think this is, I mean, I I don't know, I'm going to try to relay this to uh, my wife later on this conversation, because it's just amazing, because I love the Radical Equations book. And like, you're bringing up angles that I haven't thought about in a while. But but also, too, we create this. We wanted this podcast to be a space where folks that are new to the field, right, that are you know stepping into these roles, and sometimes they're coming in with preconceived notions about what the role has to look like. I've got to go, you know, put out this you know career grant proposal. I, I have to do the you know X, Y, and Z. Versus you know think you know pause, look around, cast down your bucket, you know, examine you know what are these crawl spaces and spaces that it's like asset spaces around you that you could uh, step into and provide, you know, yourself like, and again, not taking up space, but be in the space and seeing like w- what you can do uh, to help advance the community. I don't know. That's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a refreshing approach. Uh, and I just love the way you described it. I can't wait for people to to
2: hear this. Thank you.
1: Thank you yeah. And,
2: saying. and even, um, you know, what, what journals you're looking for to publish in is related to what you're interested in is related to what you're working in, which might not be math related right now, but doesn't mean it's never um, Mm -hmm. related to that. And I think that's really, I think that's really awesome. So
1: I actually just read though, um, I'm going to plug and choose my friend, but I'm going to plug this article that my friend wrote um, because it's a perfect example of this work in math education research Um, Gladys Krause, who's at William & Mary, she just published an article in ZDM 2023. It's called, like, Words and Worlds, something like that. And she talks about doing, like, figuring out how to do word problems with um, students who recently arrived in the United States from Afghanistan and from Latin America. And just the way she talks about building contexts with them is casting down your bucket where you are. So I think if you want an article about someone doing this in math education, Gladys just wrote this beautiful, beautiful piece, um, and it's in ZDM like
3: right now. So, awesome. We'll put links in the show notes to got got a list going. So
0: yeah, yeah. I just thought about great. That. That's great resources for us thinking about casting down your bucket and and uh, the work that you're doing in the crawl spaces. Are there, are there other resources or articles or anything? That you'd recommend for folks wanting to learn more about the work um, with mathematics and bilingual education?
1: Yeah. So I think the suggestion I give people when I started doing like this thinking around community organizing work was I started by reading Bob and Bob's work again, um, which brings so much meaning to me and has for so many years. Um, And then I thought about like the community I was in at the time in Columbus. And sort of what organizers and organizing work was meaningful for that community. And then I thought about like myself and my own roots and who I am and what organizers um, had done or were doing work that was meaningful for me and my community and my sense of self. And I used those and reading them. And reading them means like watching them on YouTube, um, looking up articles that have been written about them or biographies that have been written about them, um, looking at memoirs that they've written, anything that you can kind of get your hands on that are listening to podcasts. Dolores Huerta did a great podcast episode that I drew on. Um, and I think that really trying to think about grounding who you are and where you are mm. and then thinking about organizers that speak to those um, communities can help you start to think about like what doing this work means for you. Like there's not one recipe, you know?
0: Yeah. It just reminds me of that whole, um, the identity work or unearthing yourself and your communities and your ancestors. And how are you bringing that all into, and then going out to different medias and and spaces to think about bringing all of that together to kind of situate where you are and what you want to do with uh, the work that, that um, fills you and fills your community. So Melissa In 2022, you were honored with the AMTE Dissertation Award. So, first of all, congratulations. Um, Could you talk a little bit about the process for those interested in
1: submitting their work for consideration? I would definitely recommend people do it, not just because I won, but because I don't think it's too onerous. I think sometimes these reward things can be really, really hard to apply for. It's like, Write a new 20 page description of your dissertation and like just the thought of doing that after writing a dissertation is awful. Um, But I want to say it was a pretty short um, additional writing that they asked you to do, which is what they asked you to sort of write in, like why your dissertation matters to math teacher education. Like just sort of make that argument Um, and then just submit the actual dissertation. And so I think that is a particularly nice award structure because it's it's asking you, like, make a small case for why this matters So this particular organization makes sense. Um, but it's not too onerous a task. It's pretty doable for anybody that wants to do the self-nomination. And then you're actually submitting your dissertation so that the judges, from what I understand, they actually have to read all these dissertations that come in. And like, these are, you know, dissertations are are weighty tomes and they get through them, but it means that they actually judge your dissertation on your dissertation, not on how well you wrote like a 20 page summary of it after being exhausted from writing it. So um, if you're thinking about applying to awards and you feel like your dissertation has something really meaningful to say to mathematics teacher education, I say apply, it's not too complicated. The website probably has some really easily accessible information on it. Um, And if you do win, like, it feels really great, but also um, departments and colleges, like, they take it really seriously because AMT is a really recognized national organization, so.
3: Yeah, and one thing to mention is that, you know, scholars are eligible for two years after their degree is granted. You can apply once, but you, like, if you missed it, This I see it was in July 15th was uh, this past uh, nomination uh, cycle, but hey, if you missed it and you just graduated, do it. Do it next year, next summer. Yeah.
1: And so. that's actually great timing too, because it's like July, the semester's over. And now they're like, write this short thing. And you're like, I could do this. It's July. It's so It's
3: nice and hot. Oh, it's great.
1: <laughs> it's a hundred degrees outside. So sit down yeah. in front of the computer and right. write a little something.
2: And if you are, it's been much longer than that, uh, but you really like to read people's great dissertations. Uh, you could volunteer to be on amte committees and and maybe you get to read those dissertations so
3: good job dusty
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, volunteer because there's nothing nicer than someone actually reading your dissertation right
2: right this is this is a way to guarantee uh more than my advisor and and me will read my dissertation (laughs) Mm -hmm. great
0: so Melissa, do you have anything coming up any webinars conference presentations any community organizing any work that you'd like to give a shout out to or share with our listeners?
1: I have anything coming up here. You have to let me think about that for a second. Um, I know well, one thing
0: that we talked about. I don't know if it's coming up soon, but it'll probably happen again. Is that trans border conference?
1: Oh, that comes up. What was it? Every once in a while at my institution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, my institution, UTRGV, holds a conference that's a trans-border conference with in institutions in Mexico. So there's always like amazing conferencing across borders, which is very cross-spacey. Um, and the other thing that comes to mind is just AMTE. I'll be at AMTE in February um, at the actual conference talking about my dissertation and organizing work and the ways that I brought theories of organizers to doing work with teachers. Um, so if you're more interested in that, that's where I'll be sharing and talking about that And this will be good motivation to make me sit down and finally put those book proposals together. So I appreciate y'all for, for thinking with me and making me feel like these ideas have some, some worth beyond uh, just a dissertation. Oh, they're amazing.
0: They're amazing. This conversation has been great. And I know that our listeners will definitely enjoy um, listening, listening to this podcast for sure.
2: And, and I will say if you like this podcast, um, I don't know uh, what order this is coming out, but our, um, our podcast with Francis Harper is also about working in uh, communities and um, it would be a good pairing with, uh, with this one. So play next on that one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think it's great. Cause I think more of us should be getting um, into the communities and working with communities so that, um, yeah, just.
1: Well, I think that's what maybe I, and I, don't say this enough really, but part of why I'm here is because someone got in the community and did something, right? Like mm. a math education researcher went out to a school and just was like, hey, you you want some help? I can help you. <laughs> I really wanted some help. And it changed a lot, right? Like I, I relearned math, y'all. Like I can remember teaching multiplying fractions and watching uh, my students figure stuff out that I had never understood before. And suddenly mm. it all made sense to me, right? Like I was learning math with kids um, and and loving math, right? Like I love math now, but it's because I actually got to see it. And I got to see it because a math education researcher went out to the community and he cast down his bucket and he helped me. Mm. And I mean, he was there, there were weeks where he was there every single day, every mm. single day. Um and so I know it was transformative for my teaching, but it was also so meaningful for those students, right? Like they could have had um, a terrible math learning year. They could have gotten nothing out of math for an entire year. And instead they, they didn't. They had really beautiful experiences. Um, he could have written a long ethnography of all the trash ways alternatively certified teachers are not prepared to teach math. Mm. But it like helped me right? Mm -hmm. So there's so much that we can do. I think if we start to see our roles as filled with potential and possibility and not as checklists of things we have to get done by certain times to feel successful, I think then we'd actually start feeling successful. Mm.
0: Well, on that note, I would just like to say thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Um, You've given us a lot to think about. This is beautiful.
1: I appreciated the invitation and the chance to get to talk to Jen again and to talk to you, Dusty and Joel. Thanks again
0: for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching podcast. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to the podcast. We hope that you're able to take action on something that you just heard and interact with other math teacher educators. Also, did you know that the AM, that AMTE has another podcast, the Mathematics Teacher Educator Podcast? The MTE podcast accompanies the latest edition of the Mathematics Teacher Education Journal and has authors discuss the work they've submitted for publication to the journal. Find a link to the MTE podcast in the show notes for this episode.